Hey, Rockheads. This is Music to Code by Track 12. Check this out. Oh, yeah. Just what you need to get in the zone when you write code. And get this. We just added a site license. Download it once, share it with everybody in your office. Check it out at musictocodeby.net. Net Rocks, episode 1319, with guest Renee Schulte. Recorded Thursday, June 9th, 2016. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And we're still in Norway. And we like it here. Oslo, to be exact, at the NDC. Wonderful conference you've heard a lot about, I'm sure, by now. Renee Schulte is here. We're going to be talking HoloLens this hour. It's going to be fantastic. I'm excited. I personally am excited because I have one and now you have one. I just received mine, yeah. I've been working with mine for a few weeks and... uh, going through the tutorials and stuff, and I'm really impressed. And I can't wait to hear what Rene has done. He's uh, done a lot more than I have, I'm sure. So let's get the ball rolling with Better Know a Framework. Awesome. All right, man, what do you got? Apropos to this show, which is number 1319, I'm talking about the Hollow Toolkit, 1319.pwop.me, and that is Microsoft's open source Hollow Toolkit. It's a collection of scripts and components intended to accelerate the development of holographic applications targeting Windows Holographic, which is, of course, what uh, HoloLens uses. Spatial mapping and sharing, networking features, and uh, some audio features as well. And networking is a piece of the puzzle that is sort of missing and that's why this exists. And we'll talk to Renee about that too, I'm sure. So this is sort of a you got must to have if you're going to do development on HoloLens? I think, yeah. I mean, there's just so many helpful libraries here. And interesting, they just put it directly on GitHub, right? Yeah. It's just an open source project. It's a visual pairing system. So when you have three or four people or even two people in the same room with a HoloLens, you can pair them just by looking at the other person. Wow. Yeah. It's just really cool. It's very interesting. There you go. Know it, learn it, love it. Richard, who's talking to us today? I grabbed a comment off of show 1211, the one we did with Matthew Wilson. We were talking about building virtual reality apps. Not that I want to construe augmented reality and virtual reality, but they are uh, part of sort of the same space. They are related. And Matthew, we had a great conversation because he's building all those apps. And uh, lots of comments on that show, too, because I think people are really excited about it. And Ben Hathaway said, great show, guys. Matthew Wilson has perhaps the coolest job ever. He gets to write VR software, work with visual artists and musicians on a daily basis and learn random interesting stuff like how to learn 
learn to drive a forklift truck, all in the name of research. I hate him just a little bit. <laughs> so I was thinking about the nausea problem with virtual reality. And yeah. then I was thinking about image stabilization technology we have in handheld video cameras. Image stabilization basically works by cutting down the field of view and adjusting its position dynamically to counteract small movements in the camera. How about reversing this idea for VR headsets, sort of an image destabilization technology? Let's render a slightly larger viewport that we actually need for each frame and allow the headset to pan around this larger frame in response to small movements of the headset. This could be super fast and super responsive as we effectively hotwire the reactive feedback loop for small-scale movements and hopefully eliminate nausea. Sure, you could lose some precision in terms of parallax effects, but for small movements, you probably wouldn't notice. We could even reduce the rendered frame rate a little and put more detail in there. This idea would need some experimentation and a whole lot of vomit bags so to get it right and find the sweet spot. Anyway, I'm wondering if this has been tried already. Most of my best ideas turn out to be in development already. I'm expecting this one to be no different. Like everything in VR, it would be fun to try. Absolutely. It's an interesting idea. The frame rate's really important. I remember the Oculus guys going on quite a bit about the 90 frames a second was a key to minimizing nausea right. effects. I got it particularly when you were doing unnatural motion. So right. you're in a natural place, and then you hit the key to move forward, and you go from zero to 60, however, kind of yeah, thing, yeah. 60 and immediately, and it's just so constant, and that's not how people move. You move, you get up slowly, you start, and you ease into it. So some easing in the movement might help. A friend of mine who works in the gaming industry was saying, you know, the normal running speed for first-person shooters is the equivalent of about 30 miles an hour. So one of the reasons that people are so disturbed by it is it's way faster than it should be. Yeah. And that our brains automatically compensate for the effects of stepping. Mm. So when you simulate that in a game, it's really actually not natural. We should be closer to a glide kind of effect. So I think Ben has a good point on the whole stabilization. We need to move less than reality because that's what our brains do naturally. I also appreciate, and again, I'm talking about friends of mine who are in the gaming industry. They're saying, we're rethinking gaming. This is a different way to tackle gaming. You can't just adapt. You have to sort of rethink. And it's uh, not a small thing to do. So Ben, and thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media because we publish every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. And send us a tweet. We pinch him with our fingers. Nice. <laughs> All right, Rene Schulte is here. Let's talk to him. He's developing for new immersive technologies like the HoloLens since last year, but he actually got into AR, VR, and 3D computer graphics many years ago. He is also a Microsoft MVP for Windows development, and we talked to you, Rene, five years ago about your Silverlight AR toolkit, which I demoed on the road trip mm -hmm. that year, and it was so much fun to have chickens coming out of your head and stuff. It was <laughs> <laughs> just, just a blast. Yeah, you're one of the old school VR believers before this crop of new headsets yeah. and all that sort of stuff. Back right. when it was way harder. I was saying, I need to get me a t-shirt with like a print saying, I did VR before it was cool. That's <laughs> it, yeah. <laughs> totally true. In AR too, the augmented yeah. reality toolkit was something else. So I did this uh, AR toolkit port a couple of years ago. And it was just a few weeks ago when I had like five-year anniversary when I was porting the AR Toolkit over to Windows Phone mm. when they released Windows Phone Mango. Right. right. Do you remember that? Yeah. yeah that yeah. was fun. They finally added camera access APIs so you could do some computer vision actually. But there was good times, but sadly that's history basically, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But these days we have even better stuff. We have the whole lens. And well, some of us lucky ones do. <laughs> A lot of people are still waiting for them. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So yeah, the whole lens is somehow available, but, but not for the masses, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I worry that you're there now 
are we going to have enough devices available when the customers finally want to buy them en masse for the products we're building? That's a good question. Currently, I mean, they didn't even announce when they release no. something for the masses. Yeah. So right now we have the first dev kit. And who knows? I don't know the details, but I can just assume that there will be more, maybe another iteration of the dev kit. And you heard the news last week or the week before, basically, they announced that they're partnering and opening the platform for yes. other partners, like the right. big vendors, like HTC, Samsung, whatnot. Yeah, they can that would be the logical candidates, I would think. Yeah, I think it's so. going to be just a part of Windows 10. But I also like this idea that Microsoft is not going to be the gatekeeper on all the hardware. Yeah, and, and you know those big vendors of uh, mobile devices, mm -hmm. they have the supply chain in place. They know how to build really amazing hardware into small form factors. And this is the great piece with the HoloLens. Is it Maybe they can do a better job than Microsoft's done. Maybe. And mm. I really like the fact with the HoloLens that it's fully self-contained and untethered. Yes. So with the VR devices like the Oculus Rift and the HTC Vive, you need your full-blown desktop PC, really high-end PC. Yeah, a and, serious and, machine. And you need to be connected with a cable. Basically, you're yep. all the time on the leash. You're tethered. Right? With the HoloLens, you can just freely walk around. You can explore you can interact with other people because you see them. But you're paying a price in battery life, in field of view. I was just t saying yesterday that battery is, what is it, last an hour and a half, two hours, something like that. But ah, it's actually longer than that. Longer. Depends on what you're doing. But I have a, this big 10,000 milliamp hour yeah. battery charger, and you can put that in your pocket and just a USB cable going up in your side or your back yeah, to your HoloLens and walk around all day. Yeah, we tried that. It's actually uh, decharging faster than you can charge it because it's just oh, really? micro USB. So they would probably have to use USB-C or something with more, oh, more power, stinks. basically. I have a high amp battery, so Maybe might be worth works. a try. Like no, normal USB is like one amp. I have a 25k milliamp right. unit that does USB-C at two and a half amps. In theory, it might be able to push it in fast enough. It is an interesting problem. Microsoft could solve that with the right connector, too. It can probably add USB-C anyway, yeah, right? right? It was one of the first feedbacks from Microsoft when we started to work together with them was right now the USB connector is just for charging and debugging, but actually give me access that I can push data through it, yeah. that I can use it. Because I have some enterprise scenarios where it's totally fine to have a cable connected right. to be tethered. But, it, but you want longer run times. You want more power, basically, right? right? So I want to choose a trade-off, basically, yeah. me as a developer. And also another thing, it runs for three to four hours, depending what you do with the mm. battery. Another idea I had was do you guys, you remember, but I'm not sure if all the audience remembers, like on the old machines, like 286, 386, we had the turbo button. Right, the turbo yeah, button. That's right. right. Awesome, right? Back when we had software that didn't understand that CPUs could vary in speed, and so you yeah. actually had to be able to slow them down. Yeah. It was yeah. games that yeah, were tied it, to the system. That was awesome. And I want the turbo button for the HoloLens. Yeah, right. Oh. You know, I, I want to have more processing power, but right. I can burn through the battery in half an hour or something. Yeah, sure. right. Yeah, that would be nice Wouldn't if I can it? choose well, the trade-off. They were saying that, that the game that people really love on that one where, they, where you have critters coming out of the wall and so forth. Yeah, rate. Yeah, it was for the first thing that A, mowed the battery down and yeah. B, made the hull lens genuinely hot because yeah. you were working the GPU so hard. That's a great game, by the way. It's fun. I just gave a colleague from Germany a, a demo with the whole lens because he has never tried it. And they usually what I do, I let them also try RoboRaid. And the best part about it is, is just watching people play RoboRaid. Yeah, because <laughs> they look funny, don't they? Now, let me explain RoboRaid. 
The first thing you do is it tells you to go look around your room and look under the furniture, look under the chairs and the tables, because it's making a spatial map of your room. It scans the room, right? Right. And creates a mesh of the room, and it finds where the surfaces are. So guess what? The little robo things don't bounce into them, and they jump up on your coffee table, and they jump (laughs) off and on your chairs. It is so cool. And they break the walls up and basically come out of your wall, right? They come out of the wall. Yeah, a big zipper comes down the wall, and these things pop out of it. so great. That's really amazing. And they do a very good job with the spatial mapping there. And this is a game, but the spatial map of the whole lens mm. that it can scan the room that it can understand the environment you are as a user are in is mm-hmm. an amazing piece of the whole lens it's really a unique feature when you compare it with other devices even if you're docking 2d windows it puts them in such a way that they look like they fit in your room. On the walls, they're at the right angle for the wall. They're at the right angle if they're sitting on a table. I just did a talk here at NDC Oslo about HoloLens development. And the talk, I first I set the terminology straight. With what is VR? What is AR? What is MR? Right. It's so often mixed. And people just see something you put on your head. And they think, oh, this is the same as an Oculus. Or this is the same as an HTC right. Vive. But it's so much different. So I started with that. And then I told a bit about HoloLens, HoloLens development also. And then I did a demo with them together using Unity and we built like a quick demo where I can showcase all the basics of whole lens development. So we implemented gazing, air tapping gesture, speech recognition, as well as spatial sound and uh, yeah, spatial mapping especially. And I do this just with a quick Unity scene, small plane, put some cubes on it with rigid body so you have the physics collisions and then you can shoot spheres from the user's head basically into the scene so they bounce off and I can build this like in 20 to 40 minutes and uh, the nice thing is I can showcase the amazing feature of the spatial mapping and for here for Norway or the Scandinavian region I made a special edition where I had instead of just spheres I was making those special meatballs they come from Sweden so (laughs) I'm shooting the meatballs into the audience (laughs) and amazing pieces that the whole lens does the scanning the spatial mapping and it does it every few seconds so it actually scanned also the people sitting there in the first three to four rows so it's whatever. bouncing off their heads they're bouncing off and I would say like, everyone great. gets his meatballs for lunch no, <laughs> awesome. it was like shooting there it was really fun then. so how did you display what you see do you Skype for that there's this device portal that's one piece how you can do it so you can connect with the HoloLens via Wi-Fi basically mm-hmm. so what I do for my demos I use my own Wi-Fi access point don't have issues with conference Wi-Fi so I'm not interferencing so I use my own access point connect the HoloLens to it and my PC and then I can either use the device portal which was implemented with Windows 10 or they actually also have universal Windows platform application for the HoloLens which mm-hmm. I'm using where you can basically show the live stream this is called mixed reality capture uh, the HoloLens has an RGB camera so it yeah. can record what you're seeing basically they take this and then they're adding the virtual objects the holograms on top of that compose that and this is what you can stream to your PC so people can actually see on the big screen what you're seeing now you can stream it with that app but do you have API access to it so can there, you use that stream to broadcast that to Ustream or something like that yes there's an API it's called video capture you can use that and you can even decide if you want to have the holograms included or just basically the video right. stream there's an API and then you re- can record it to file on on the device. Oh, you can, but can you stream it across the network? Not directly. I need to check the API in detail, yeah. but I think it's just taking a string as a file name. But you can probably just write it to disk and then find a way how to stream it some, right. some, somewhere, yeah. Yeah, reading it out or go with Media Foundation maybe, not using maybe. the high, high level WinRT APIs, but actually going a bit deeper with Media Foundation. Well, Skype is interesting because Skype is an app that comes on the HoloLens, of course, and it's a little different, as you might imagine. If you Skype to somebody who has the HoloLens plugin, or the 
HoloLens tools for Skype, they can use a pencil and draw on your reality. And they see what you see, mm-hmm. and they see your holograms too. So that's kind of like a hack. If you want to broadcast to a Skype conference, let's say, you could use that, and then everybody could see what you're doing. But Skype has a limitation on how many people can see it at once. It's yep. just a thought. I don't even know if it's possible. But. but Skype is really amazing on the HoloLens. I did it a few times also with my colleagues in Seattle, and it's really cool. It's and really that's the holoportation? No, no, no just different. Skype. It's Skype, but Skype basically is HoloLens to HoloLens Skype. You can do HoloLens to desktop Skype, but you can also do HoloLens to HoloLens Skype. And it's, it's really cool. HoloLens to desktop Skype, they see what you see, including your holograms, and you see their video at the same time. But HoloLens to HoloLens, you can only pick one yeah. as the source exactly. at any one time. Sort of the view of the world. Interesting. You could see my world and I could see your world, but not at the same time. But the cool thing is you can annotate, draw arrows and stuff like that yeah. as holograms into the world. So I was doing and this they with stay there. I was doing it with my friend Laurent and uh, we were basically uh, Skyping through HoloLens and I showed him some Lego stuff my girls build, my, my yeah. Laurels, right? And he could like annotate like some arrows, yeah, look at yeah. this figure and stuff. It's, really, it's so cool. It's amazing. Really and you can pull out pictures, right? Yeah, from your OneDrive. Pictures from OneDrive. Really nice. Those little things, they make the difference. And then you can walk through your house and actually mm. the window with the Skype partners following you through the mm. house. That's pretty cool. We could see if we could make that work work outdoors. That's the new smartphone. You're sitting on the bus with your visor on, your Skype window floating. Well, the thing is, it'll work at night because there's no sunlight. But in the sunlight, the things tend to get washed out. It's washed out, yeah. It works actually okay when it's overcasting. I tried it in my garden. I put the space shuttle in my garden, a holographic (laughs) space shuttle. (laughs) And then when I showed it to my friends, I look in the garden. (laughs) There's something waiting outside. If they could automatically tint the visor. Yeah. you might be able to, to deal see with things that. better. Hey, so you put that shuttle in your garden and you left it there. So now you put your HoloLens from inside your house. You look through your window. Can you see that it's out there? Yeah, yeah. that works most of the time. And you can sometimes see through the walls too. Wow, that's really creepy. That's creepy, right? It's really yes. interesting. The challenge, of course, would be how does the window impede your vision enough that it can figure out what the framing and stuff would be on that would be. The spatial mapping of the HoloLens, they really did an amazing job doing the spatial mapping. So what they're doing from an algorithmic standpoint, they're using structural through motion. If you remember Photosynth, that's similar technology, mm, right, basically. Right. Or the new like hype is called photogrammetry. So where it takes multiple photos and then you get a 3D scan out of it. Mm-hmm. I actually did this last week when I was at the Unity conference, Unite. Intel has this RealSense cameras, right? And they have this integrated into one of the HP Spectrum machines. So you could go there and scan yourself. So I got a scan of myself and I put it in my demo today. I was there as a hologram and I could shoot at myself as a hologram. <laughs> it was pretty funny. Yeah. So but there's you're a, three-dimensional, so it, yeah. it'll actually, you can bounce off your head correctly. That's right. I added some nice collaterals to it so that you can actually bounce off and throw in the room, in the real room, right? Yeah. Yeah. As a hologram. This yeah. is the amazing piece with the HoloLens. That's what I show in the demo to make sure that people understand this thing can understand the environment. This I, is such a difference. It's looking I, back at you. I actually played RoboRaid in my living room, but I've done most of my HoloLens work at the breakfast nook. So, in the studio. But oh, I have yeah. used it at home, and I've used it where I've walked from the breakfast nook into the living room so it knows the relationship of where the living room stuff is versus where I am and that's where I played RoboRaid and I guess I left a hologram there or something because (laughs) I'm booting it up and all of a sudden out of the corner of my eye toward the living room but completely not seeing it because of behind a wall I can see these holograms just sort of hanging I'm like what the heck is that <laughs> and then I realized it was from the Robo Raid game you'd left a couple of aliens behind I left a couple of artifacts there yeah that's it they have an API with the whole lens it's called World Anchor and this is pretty nice because you can apply that to certain objects so if you're doing Unity 
But this mm. is also in WinRT API. So even if you're doing Dyke 3D with the HoloLens, Dyke 3D 11, that's basically what you're doing with the HoloLens if mm. you're doing 3D rendering. And you can also use Unity, but Unity outputs is also just a Dyke 3D app in the end. Right. So, and you have an API called World Anchor, and you can place that on certain objects. If you have a coordinate system, well, this World Anchor will make sure that the HoloLens gives those objects its own coordinate system. And this will make sure that those holograms are very stable in the room. And even if you walk outside the room and come back, they're still at the same position. So that's what they're basically using. And the cool thing with that API is you can actually persist those. There's a global storage where I can store those with right. an ID. So when so I'm flying, we're flying back home, I still have some holograms in my office, right? <laughs> and you too as well. <laughs> yes. And we all have our own holograms. Yeah, they're just hanging around, still yeah. in there. We've got to talk about Unity. So when it comes to making 3D stuff for the HoloLens, it's all about Unity? I wouldn't use Unity for certain applications. I wouldn't use Unity to build Skype. But there's for not example. a lot of 3D objects in Skype. Well, there's now what he's getting at is there's two types of apps you can run. You can run 2D apps in a 3D world, and those are universal Windows programs, like Skype. Or you can write 3D apps using Unity. Yeah, exactly. So maybe we talk about this in, uh, for a second. So you can, like you said, build universal Windows platform applications with mm -hmm. it that run on mobile and desktop and also on the HoloLens. But they will be rendered as 2D windows, basically. Right. And you can place those windows in your room using the spatial mapping of the whole lens. It doesn't matter if WPF or old VB wind forms or anything like that. They're going to act the same. It's a Windows Store application. Right. So yeah, not WPF. or It's really UWP, XAML, whatnot, right. whatever you want to use. But they run as 2D apps, basically. If you want to have 3D apps, you use Dyke 3D. 11, basically. That's what's running on the whole lens. Direct 3D 11? Direct 3D 11. Right, 3D right, 11 right, direct right. X. So you can use that with C++. So there's also this wrapper project called ShopDX. So you can use C Shop with mm -hmm. that one. So this is one way. The other way is using a middleware like Unity, like a game engine. And uh, what Unity outputs in the end is also just a Direct 3D app, basically. Mm. A UWP Direct 3D app, which is rendered really as 3D holograms. So Unity is nice. You can be very productive. You can be really yeah. fast. People who haven't used Unity in a while, they always still think this is kind of cliche that Unity is like kind of a toy, right? right? For well, indie it's a game, game platform, indie game developers, but yeah. actually, you can really build applications. So, we built a demo project called Holoflight, it's a real time flight data visualization we are doing, and nice. we built that using Unity. And so you can see uh, flight data in 3D because when you look at what air traffic controllers see these days, they look at the flight data in 2D. Yep, they do. They look at flat panels, basically. Yeah. So we figured, let's use that flight data, which is available, and put those in 3D because planes actually fly in 3D. They have an altitude. And if you visualize them as 3D holograms, you get the relation between them. You right. understand better the distance and how high are there and you can visualize also the flight trails. So that's yes. also what we're doing. We can show the data in real time but we can also cache them in our own Azure backend and play them back as a different speed and make the flight trails stick. So you see the flight trails for a while, right. and then you see the routes, which is usually invisible information, right? And so this are is the air traffic controllers actually going to use this? Well, maybe. Shouldn't they? Of course they should. So I don't know that I've ever talked about this on the show, but... I was, yeah, this is a great story. I was very nearly an air traffic controller. Yeah, and you turned point. it down. I did. And are you the test, by the way. Yeah. Well, no, I got three questions wrong out of 50. Oh, but it was also... the test. Yeah. But it was only two minutes a question. It was a, one of the hardest tests I've ever taken. And only three people passed it. And the other two were taking it for the third time. <laughs> it's the ability to think three-dimensionally, right? I mean, they're giving you a flat graph. It's, it, all the questions are the same. It's a square with a set of tracks. Then there's a set of aircraft that are going to fly certain tracks at certain altitudes at certain speeds. And the question is always the same. Find the collision. The collision being two aircraft with 
within five miles of each other, within a thousand feet of each other. That's the collision. And so you not only have to be able to picture these planes are above or below and so forth, and yeah. then you have to project into the future how far are they going to move that they're actually going to hit a collision point. And the whole goal in air traffic control is the fewest number of changes necessary to complete the puzzle, to get rid of the collisions. Because if you get it wrong, you just put it in another quarter, no big deal, right? Anyway, thinking, being able to actually have the three-dimensional representation in front of you all of the time, to sort of be God in that space mm. yeah. and be able to just see where these things are. And it's not just where they've been, not the flight trail, but the flight projection. He's going to be over there next. He's going to go on a, today, they start to do these continuous descent profiles. So normally in air traffic control, you literally stepping down a thousand feet almost on demand. Sometimes you'll do a few at a time, but it's less fuel efficient than what they call continuous descent profile. Mm. Literally, I want you to continuously descend coming into this approach vector to do a landing but it means you're not entirely certain where they're going to be at yeah. what altitude, at what distance at any given time. Being able to see that three-dimensionally, that would be huge. It would be safer. I've seen the video that you guys uh, showed, and it's on YouTube, and I think we'll link to it, but it looks amazing. Is that yeah. on Holoflight? Yeah, yeah, that's Holoflight. That was my main project during the last couple of months with a small team. We worked mm -hmm. on that. And it's like real-time flight data visualization. We also have real topographic data from yeah. Bing Maps API. And this is like real data visualization, right? Yeah. This cool. is not just a game. This is a real scenario, serious use case. Right? It's probably it's the best use case I've heard so very far. Very profound. Yeah, we also did some other stuff. For example, we had an engagement with a museum where we explored certain things. What can you put in museums? Just, you right. know, we're a user experience agency, so we try out also a lot of things to make a good user experience. And uh, with the holograms and the holographic world, it's all so much new, so much different. So you need to explore and try out and iterate. So we tried out a few things for the museum as well. So what we did, we took some dinosaur models and placed them in our office. And this is amazing because you get a sense for the real world scale because the cool piece just how big those how critters, big right? they are right and when i also when i did the, um, the moss demo by microsoft a while ago at build also they had this uh, microsoft uh, moss demo they had the moss robot you remember the, the, the moss robot the science lander or the big one no the moss robot yeah, the big one yeah, yeah science and, lander uh, what they call it curiosity yeah uh, yeah yeah that's mm. it exactly mm. and i was always thinking this thing is like kids car or something no. and then i see it as a hologram and i get actually the idea of how big it is it's really big. it's yeah. like a truck it's truck size it's really huge and they, if you see them as a hologram you actually realize how big it is even yeah. if you don't see the real model you see the hologram and then you understand because you see the real world and you get the relation to the objects in the real world sure it makes all the difference did they show the smaller ones like opportunity and, and no they're just the yeah, curiosity just the big one but they also had Armstrong oh wow oh a, yes I did see that they had him scanned as 3D hologram basically right. and we're standing there and talking and guiding through the experience that was in a Microsoft demo a HoloLens demo or something that was a Microsoft HoloLens demo it's experience Mars or something Thing. Yeah, I'm not right, sure exactly right. what your right. name is. It's pretty cool. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? It must be that happy time again. Yeah. It's time to announce our new technology. AF. Oh. AF. Augmented fantasy. <laughs> it superimposes a little piece of reality in a fantasy world, just like the middle of our shows. <laughs> It's <laughs> so true. <laughs> uh, it's actually time to give away a D-Experience subscription to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best 
without limits or compromise. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial at devexpress.com slash superhero. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Stuart Campbell. Congratulations, Stuart. Any relation? I don't know. It's all flat for you, sir. What was that place? We were in Scotland, and we went to, it was a restaurant or something, and there was a sign on the door that said, no Campbells yes, allowed. Yes. And we were wondering if Richard could come in or not. No, I think I sat under that sign and looked sad. Yeah, just don't show him your passport. Yeah, that's it. Um, that was down in the, in the southwest corner. Right. Yeah. It was on our way back from Aberdeen. It was on our way back. I'd actually been there before. A nice little restaurant. They had some good scotch there. We had many yeah. scotch. Well, you don't call it scotch in Scotland. Yeah, you just, just whiskey. whiskey. That's true. Outside of Scotland, that's true. Ooh, scotch. They're a little that's sensitive that. about that. Yeah. I found that the hard way. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. It's like if you're in Norway and say like Sweden. And right. yeah. you know, don't mix those up. With me as a German and also like Austria. Oh, God right? forbid. Yeah. If you mix it up, it's... Uh, Denmark, God forbid. No, don't you mix wouldn't it. want to do that. No, 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 no. <laughs> Very careful. <laughs> don't make up the Austrians and the Germans. Things we've learned yes. flying all over the world. If people we've insulted all over the world. That's right. <laughs> Think people I've insulted this week. Oh, man. And Stuart won the D Experience subscription from Developer Express. That's a big pile of awesome from them. Uh, and if you don't know what we're doing here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you have to sign up to win. Okay, Renee, it's your turn. If you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, and this ought to be good, because mm-hmm. it's not a HoloLens. He's already got a HoloLens. What yeah. would you buy? I would probably buy a fancy road bike. Oh, wow. Uh, I thought you should say I would buy another HoloLens. Uh, <laughs> and when you mean bike, do you mean bicycle? manual pedal? Yeah, no, I mean a real road bicycle. Bicycle, right. yeah. The thin tire, Tour de France style, ultralight frame. Ultralight frame, yeah, exactly. You can ride five grand on just a frame. Yeah, You're crazy. Definitely. There are frames about, which, which weigh less than five kilograms. How, like gra- how about a grand on the bike and four grand for medical bills when you break your collarbone again? Ah, who who no, would do that? Nobody would do that. What happened? <laughs> tell us that story. What happened? Uh, yeah. Do you mind? I can tell that. I, I lost quite some weight through last year. Yeah, I actually lost over 100 pound wow in uh, a bit over a year and i did this uh, by reducing a bit of the input just eating a bit less Mm -hmm. but also i got into bicycling and sports and doing a lot of biking actually around 100 miles per week wow so this is like really fun and it's also good to get your head free from all the work and stuff and you actually do something else but on this day when i was riding i didn't have my head free i was still thinking about work and wasn't fully concentrated and i basically hit the pavement in a wrong angle somehow and then yeah i crashed and hit the collarbone and we could not record .NET Rocks. That's right. We had it scheduled for the day, but finally we can do it here in Oslo. (laughs) Yeah, awesome. For a while there, it seemed like that show was cursed. I think we rescheduled three times. Yeah. The last one, you had a broken collarbone. I'm like, what's it going to (laughs) take to get these guys recorded? We originally talked about doing this with Laurent, although we already done a show with Laurent on HoloLens. I'm glad you're here and we've got this thing going on because a lot to talk about. Did your bike survive the accident? Did you angle it? No, it's fine. Okay. It's good. It just threw you off. Yeah, it just threw me off, basically. The collarbone is the typical thing that you break when you're doing bicycling or also like motorbikes. This yep. is the typical thing you break, basically, when you crash. Yeah, so you land on your shoulder. Yeah, it's very common. And usually you don't need to do much. But for my case, it was like a bit weird broken. So they put in like titanium plates. Mm. I'm titanium, man. 
Oh, they're yeah, going to leave it in? Uh, you can get it out after two years or right. something. Right, after it's fully fused. If, if I want to, but actually it can be stay in. Yeah, it's not going to hurt you. No, it just can be uncomfortable when you're wearing a backpack or something. So. And they get cold too, I understand. Like in colder weather, you will notice that oh, yeah, they lose that, that's temperature what I faster. Right. Yeah. yeah, let's see how it turns out. We'll find uh, out. So let's talk about networking because I think this is a really big opportunity for sharing experiences and also getting data from, you know, web services and things when you're in the HoloLens. For example, if you want to see monitor some data that's coming off of a whatever it is, it could be any industrial thing, and you want to read that data in real time and sort of maybe display it up a, around the item so you could just glance at a, at a robot or something in yeah. a factory and see what it's, uh, or a car or anything else. So what are the options for doing that? I know that in the Holo Toolkit, there's uh, some networking stuff. But what is that as opposed to, say, using sockets or anything else? So the Holo Toolkit provides this kind of sharing service where you can implement. And this is for Unity, basically. And since Unity is cross-platform and they support um, 28 platforms. Wow, that's, that's great. What I they, can't name 28 platforms. Yeah, it's crazy. You have to see the icons. And then yeah. you still don't know all like, of what's them. What's that? There's, <laughs> even, there's even Tyson. Oh, man. Wow. <laughs> really? And I was like, what? Does anyone actually use that? Yeah, really? Yeah, apparently. They, they even, they're Being one of the first Korea. ones actually s supporting Windows Phone 8, right? And those oh, kind wow. of platforms, they still support it. So mm. they have like 28 platforms, and this means they also have to implement those APIs they provide in a cross-platform manner. So they, right. have, so they have it kind of abstracted. So they have their own kind of higher-level uh, networking components mm -hmm. in Unity, which you can use, and also some lower-level stuff, which is in the end also using, I guess, sockets. So this Unity by itself has an HTTP client, for example, or a web it, client? The, the class is called www. <laughs> and that's, it's really similar to the HTTP client from okay. C-Shop. It's really pretty much that. So you can request bytes or whatever mm -hmm. through network stream. That's what we're also using for Holoflight. When we request the flight data, we get it as JSON. So we're just using a JSON parser there, basically. And it's asynchronous? Yeah. And they don't, the thing is with uh, Unity, you have five or six year old mono runtime in the editor. The editor uses the old mono runtime. And uh, I hope Microsoft is fixing that since yeah. they acquired Xamarin. It was some kind of licensing issues with the LGPL or something. And that's one of the things they announced at Build was that they were flattening the licensing, I think, all to MIT in the Xamarin yeah. stack to fix a whole bunch of those kinds of problems. Yeah. And last week at the Unite conference, they basically showed the roadmap for the next versions of Unity. And they also basically had one for the next versions, they will update the Mono runtime they're using nice. inside the Unity Editor, which is really good because it's like five or six year old. You don't have task parallel library and Man. nothing of that. So what do you it's have? It's a 2.0, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. pretty much. They you, really want to switch to Rosalind, don't they? Probably. I don't know what, what mm -hmm. they're doing in the end, but the thing is on the whole lens, you have UWP, so you have .NET Core, mm -hmm. latest yep. version, basically. Uh, in the Unity Editor, when you're using Unity, you're using the Mono runtime, which is yeah. quite outdated. So you end up with some C-sharp script, which has have a lot of if precompiler directives, oh, right? If Unity yeah. underscore it all do this kind of stuff. Because you don't have async await and a lot of those right. nice things are just not there. Which you really want to use on the HoloLens to keep things super dynamic. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And uh, one thing they have with Unity is you have coroutines and they are basically just triggered a bit for each frame so they're not blocking the rendering. So right. and, and what you do internally you call a yield return, basically. And this is how you can keep oh. the coroutine from running and you always yield. That's how you give it back, right? Next yeah. frame you you're getting, again, the method is called again, the coroutine, you do another yield and so on. So this is how they basically implement so that it keeps it running. Right. But we also, what we did in Holoflight, we do a bunch of data fetching. 
But the flight data actually has a lot of issues sometimes when we get them, which you don't see in 2D. Like we had some crazy altitude drops, which don't happen that often in the real world, because otherwise no one would fly. Right, sure. And uh, so the altitude is dropping like crazy, and we're figuring, hmm, what can we do? So we developed some algorithms to fix that, to basically extrapolate a bit the data and make it smoother mm. and filter out and those kind of things. The whole end is a quad-core CPU, so we keep some of that in a background thread and keep the UI thread free from that work so it can keep up with the rendering loop. Nice. So right, and run it in parallel, basically. Are you making a data request? Because I know how Unity works is that you get that frame, what is it, update call, which is essentially an event handler, but once every frame. And do you make a call to the network once a frame no, and get data back once a frame? We, we fire it off with this WW class, basically, and this is, you're passing in a coroutine, mm -hmm. which is then called once the data yeah. is available. The callback. Yeah, that's callback, exactly. And, but that's how you, you implement uh, async stuff with Unity because they don't have async away. Right? Do but do you make a call every frame or do you have a counter that counts a few frames and then do a call and a few more frames and a call? Like Yes, the flight data is updated basically, I think, every minute. And it's actually also delayed by a couple of minutes, which is also interesting. But this is only for the flight data in the US that you have a delay of five or 10 minutes. Hmm. I think it's 10 minutes because there are some government regulations regarding security, I guess, right? Sure, yeah. I mean, it will never be precise to do anything dangerous with it, I think. But still, there is this kind of requirement that they have to delay the data so it's fine if we just fetch the data every minute or something. I see. So we do in this update loop, check the time counter basically, yeah. and then only fire it off. To get back to the initial question regarding yeah. networking, so you have this uh, Holo Toolkit with the sharing component, and they use uh, some Unity built-in networking components, because if you think about games, they have to do this all the time when they're yeah. doing multiplayer games. And if you're doing this multi-HoloLens collaboration feature, it's pretty much like a multiplayer game. In the sure, basically, yeah. Yeah. So what you do, instead of sending the full scene, every HoloLens is running the scene itself, it has all the assets, it has all the models contained on the device, and you're just synchronizing positions, basically. You're just sending the position of the other user, for example, and then you also usually have one user that is drawing the experience, this kind of master view, if you will, right? Yeah. Where you can visualize also the gaze ray, so you probably want to send head rotation, head position information, and you're just oh. synchronizing it, and then you have a small data package, basically. So you can send it very fast, and uh, have a low latency, because you want to have a nice low latency, right? Because yeah, yeah. you see the people, you see where they rotate the Head, the gaze ray, something is not updating correctly, mm -hmm. that would suck. The yep. gaze ray. The gaze yeah. ray. Yeah, that's how you call it, right? So you're figuring out something in the space where it's looking. Where you're looking. Where the user's looking. So basically, the gazing is based on head rotation. The whole lens has a bunch of sensors, and one of them is called IMU, the Inertial Measurement Unit, which is head rotation in the end. And this is what you use for uh, finding out where the user is looking at. So the user rotates his head, and this is like you would shoot at a ray from the user's head, from the camera, mm -hmm. into the scene. And then you do basically a collision test from the ray with whatever collider you have. It could be a sphere, right? Mm -hmm. There's a sphere, and then you do a ray test with a sphere, and then you know the user is looking at that object. So you have this kind of interaction focus. If you're in a desktop world, think about like a mouse move. Very and similar. then you have the bunch of uh, gestures and one and of them is the air tab. Index finger up and tapping down, triggering the air tab. This is how you trigger the interaction. So think about a desktop mouse click. Mm -hmm. So gazing is like your mouse move, you're setting the focus and air tab is triggering like a mouse click. Those two things and the third thing for this so-called gaze gesture voice input, very important, very natural. Hollands does a great job yeah. with the microphone arrays to trigger speech recognition. Very well yeah, done. And another question I had from a potential client was, 
voice, it can tell the difference between the person who's wearing its voice, another person. But what if they're standing right next to you? Can they actually trigger your HoloLens? Yeah, they can. They I, can. I do this sometimes when I give demos and the users don't know the voice commands, I just say them. Ah. But it might also be because in the end, what the voice and speech recognition is using, it's using Cortana. It's a Windows 10 device. So mm. under the hood, it's Cortana, basically. So you might be trained for my voice. And, right? is, there, and is there cloud dependency there as well? Like Cortana, it, it always sends up the file to the cloud? It also works offline. So when I do my demos, I sometimes don't have internet connection. And right. It mm. just works. That's cool. I mean, it's nice to know. I've just presumed that speech speech recognition's gotten so much better because we're harnessing the cloud all the time. I guess they synchronize once you have Wi-Fi access or something. I'm probably sure they do some really smart stuff there. Cortana works on your Windows 10 laptop when you're not connected to the internet, so that tells you that it doesn't mm -hmm. have yeah. to. Yeah, and the API for this keyword recognizer is really, really good. So you just pass in a C-sharp string, which is your voice command. So in my demo, for example, I have a voice command called height plane, and then just write a C-sharp string passed it onto the API in a constructor. Right. And then I get an event handler back, which gives me the text it recognized at confidence value, how sure it is if it is the text. And then I do a string compare. It's really super easy to use. And then you can basically just look at a plane and say hide plane and it goes away. And the thing is, it's so easy to use and it's such a nice API with the C sharp string. And if you have done uh, speech recognition with other platforms before, you might remember you have to write XML, grammar, and do a lot of stuff. You don't have to. You can do it with the objects too. You can use the grammar object, but it's more tedious. Yeah, it's really nice, simple API, good to use. Good job by Microsoft. Yeah, good mm. job indeed. Just works. Just works. The other way to do connectivity is SignalR. Now, I know that SignalR has a PCL version of it that's .NET 2, I think. No, one or the other. But there's a .NET 2 version of SignalR that I believe runs in Unity. Yeah. I haven't done it. I don't think you have either. No, yeah. I haven't tried it myself yet. If it's a PCL or also runs with .NET 2, I think you can get it running with Unity. So this might be a good option because then you can synchronize if you have multiple players or you also have a universal app that you want to communicate with at the same time and at the same time maybe calling out to services all right what else haven't we talked about should we talk about a mixed reality whether or not it actually exists yeah is that a good topic you said earlier on ar vr m uh are, right? And yeah. mixed reality. I mean, that was definitely a hot buzzword coming out of Microsoft for a while, but mm -hmm. it's not HoloLens augmented reality. It is augmented reality in right. the end. And it's kind of an umbrella term. Mm -hmm. And uh, the funny thing is, I was talking with the Vivoria folks last week, and the Vivoria has a very nice uh, augmented reality marker tracking system. They will also bring it to HoloLens. And they, they have their own definition of mixed reality. Hmm. So it seems like everyone hmm. has its own definition of mixed right. reality these days, which is really funny. But hmm. I can explain like why Microsoft uses that, or I think why they are using it, basically. So we have virtual reality, just to set it straight. And virtual reality is like a fully immersive multimedia solution, you don't see the outside world, right? Then you have augmented and mixed reality where you basically still see the real world and you augment it with virtual objects, basically. And with this usual AR augmented reality applications you probably have on your smartphone, what you do there, you point your smartphone at a marker, it does some kind of computer vision, basically, and it uses the camera stream from the device. And this camera stream is then visualized on the screen of your smartphone. So you don't see the real world with your own eyes, you see it through another screen of the smartphone. Instagram I is like this, yeah. with the Instagram photo morphing. All done on the phone. So, And you're seeing the real world not with your own eyes, but through another screen, through the phone, which is even more 
monoscopic. And uh, with mixed reality, with the HoloLens, basically, you have those nice see-through lenses, yeah. which are semi-transparent. You, you see the real world with your own mm -hmm. eyes. You don't see it through another screen. And you don't have that latency as well, because if you're just showing it through a screen, if you're watching it through another smartphone screen, you also have a kind of latency. And uh, with mixed reality, with the HoloLens, you see it with your own eyes, so you see the real world at the real time. And this is why they call it mixed reality, just to make sure it's not confused with all the other augmented reality stuff that is already out there. How much augmented reality is out there? I mean, there's lots of VR, but I haven't seen a lot of AR. Augmented reality apps we have with tablets, with smartphones, right. and these kind of things, which are all called augmented reality, because it's so wide. That's so many probably why they've be. chosen, let's call it mixed reality. They just want right. a new term. Mixed, mixed reality, if you look at the definition in Wikipedia, basically, is augmented reality and augmented virtuality. Right. So you could either use the reality and augment it with virtual objects, or use a virtual world and bring in some real world objects. Yeah, right. augmented yeah. fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah. You invented a new term. There you go. Nice. You can sell that to Microsoft. I probably can. That and five bucks will get you a latte. There right? you go. Yeah. There was one other question that I had for you. There's an app that comes with HoloLens. Well, it's in the store and you can download it and run it called Holo Studio. And Holo Studio, they demoed on stage at Build where somebody built a quadcopter and just by moving things, dragging circles and propellers and things and spray painting. And I've used it and it's great. And there's a way to export those as objects and then you can import them into unity so i tried this and instead of getting a what i would call in unity a um, prefab i got all the components the individual pieces as objects so have you done any of that successfully using the holo studio to create something imported into unity and actually use it in the hologram i haven't tried that one but i know that you can export fbx files from it you can which is a very common format for 3d models autodesk fbx is pretty much industry standard for interchanging between different 3D authoring tools and Unity just supports it. It's a pretty good format. And yeah, Holo Studio can output FBX, but I haven't tried it to import it into the Unity scene mm. again. But yeah, you probably need to stick it together then. I don't yeah. know. But I like the Holo Studio guys. They're really good people. Smart. It's a great product. And, and they did some really good design, very good user experience. Yeah. And they thought about so many things. I had my daughter try it and she's a student at Rhode Island School of Design in Industrial Design. And very visually minded person. Very like, visually that's minded. That's how she works. She's shying away from user experience like computer stuff because it doesn't really excite her that's all fair. that much. But she really liked the HoloLens and yeah. especially Holo Studio. The tech has to be really, really compelling for people to wear stuff on their face. To be essentially ostracized initially where yeah. it's like folks won't go for that. And believe it or not, that was her biggest problem with the HoloLens right. is that it looks so dorky. It looks dorky. But if it's carrying a, a slab of glass around and looking at it while you walk around and possibly run into things, it used to be dorky too. But it was so compelling people did it anyway and we've changed society now we just accept that people are dragging smartphones around everywhere they go I wonder what it's going to take for us to just accept that that's what visors do. Mm. Yeah. And it's just going to be around all the time. You know, what we have with the HoloLens is really the first iteration of the development kit. Right. So who knows where we end up in 10 years. Yeah. 10 years I, is too far. could be anything. You know what I mean? It can be really, really small so that it's actually integrated into normal glasses. So that's probably a, a vision. It's a uh, logical thing to do. And then once that happens, you don't notice. In the same way we always thought the Kinect style cameras would show up in laptops like regular mm -hmm. cameras and now there are laptops that have these yeah. type of cameras in them. Oh, it's always seemed to me that essentially the HoloLens is an Oculus Rift with transparent windows in it and a Kinect strapped to its forehead. <laughs> right? 
Yeah, it's, it's, they packed a lot of technology in there. Yeah, yeah they pack a lot of technology. There's those small cameras it has at the top. It's mm -hmm. those environmental cameras, which are used to create the spatial map of the room. Mm -hmm. They have a, a pretty wide angle, mm -hmm. and uh, they are using an algorithm called structure-free motion, which basically means they don't use the depth camera for the surface reconstruction. They're basically doing a real-time scan and taking those frames and then analyzing from the motion what the surface of the object is, what the structure basically is. Even after working since last year with the device, I'm still impressed what it can do mm. with the fully self-contained features. Yeah. It has everything built in, CPU, GPU, and this new co-processor, the holographic yeah. processing unit. Yeah, which is the HPU. The HPU, yeah. I, I presume it's just a GPU. I didn't open it up, but yeah, whatever, right? It's some co-processor. Yes. They came up with a funny name. Okay, one last thing, and that is people who are new to Unity. If you go to unity3d.com, you can download it for free. There's also a paid version that gets you like the black theme or the dark theme or whatever. And um, most scenes that you set up, you can make them run on HoloLens just by setting the background to black as a color instead of skybox. And, and then there's a couple other tweaks that you have to do, but if there's a whole bunch of free videos up there, not just at unity3d.com for getting into Unity, but also at HoloLens Academy. There's several demos and tutorials that you can go through, and the first one only takes about an hour. Yeah. And you actually build a hologram and deploy to your uh, HoloLens. Now, if you don't have a HoloLens, there's an emulator. And the emulator, I found out, uses Hyper-V. Now, yeah. I have a MacBook, and MacBooks have this particular issue, and I'll tell you about it. I don't know if you know about this, but the, in order to get Hyper-V working in a boot camp partition, which is what I have, you first have to boot into the Mac partition. You have to run Parallels, which is going to cost you some money. Once you run Parallels, then you reboot and go back to your Windows partition, and then Hyper-V works. And I found this online. Somebody said, I don't know why it works, but it does. It just does. And yeah. if you shut down your computer totally, then it goes away. You actually have to go into Mac. Parallels has to be not running, but it has to be there installed. Mm -hmm. And then you have to restart and go back into Windows. And then Hyper-V will work and the emulator will work. I know I've tested it and it's absolutely true. I wonder if it has something to do with getting access to the Ring Zero instructions in the BIOS. You may be right. It's something like that in order for the hypervisor to properly load. It is weird. Yeah, it might be the case. And the good thing is really, like you said, you can get started for free, basically. The Unity Personal Edition for free for non-commercial use. The whole Lens SDK with the emulator, you can start right away, basically. Yeah. And you have those great tutorials at the Holographic Academy. Really good yep. stuff. Really nice. And you can deploy it here, HoloLens, using USB or Wi-Fi. And I found that process to be seamless. I had some issues with the USB connection. Sometimes also the Wi-Fi drops. Yeah, 90% it's just working fine for me. Yeah. It's really good. I like the Wi-Fi deployment. You can just wear the whole lens and yeah. try some stuff because you still see the real world. I know, it's great. Renee, thanks, man. I completely appreciate all the work that you've done because I know how hard it is. Thanks for spending this time with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great to be here together with you at NDC Oslo. You bet. Very much. And we'll talk to you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and of course in the cloud. 
online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a...